Welcome to the Lex City Church Podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, welcome to week two of Elephant in the Room. That wonderful little elephant continues to show up in all kinds of bizarre places around our church as our staff has fun with that. But Elephant in the Room, right? The, the thing that everybody knows is there, but we like to pretend like it doesn't really exist. And uh, today we're gonna talk about really this week and next week, one of the biggest elephants in the room when it comes to Christendom, and that's this issue of church hurt. And what does that look like? And my goal over these next two weeks is I really wanna try to help and give you things that are gonna be helpful and, and not just interesting, right? We all like to stop by and see a car wreck and all the craziness that's there, and you know we're entertained by the, the disaster of it all, but if it's not helpful, we didn't get anything other than just observation of things that are happening. So that's my goal over these next couple of weeks, is to try to make sure I give you something that's really helpful. The challenge for me is we, talk about this topic is this, that I find myself experiencing, I've been on both sides of this issue. Some of my greatest woundedness and my deepest hurts come from the context of a hurt I've experienced in the church. And I also know I have contributed to hurt in people's lives as being part of the church. And so over these next few weeks, I just wanna acknowledge that part that for me, I, I sit on both sides of these issues. And one of the things that does break my heart the most is to know that when some of you and some people think of church hurt, that my face comes along with that process, right? In my 30-some years of ministry, I've been a part of hard things. I've been a hard part of some difficult staff transitions that are never fun and easy. Uh, I've made decisions with my boards on directions and things I thought were the right decision for the church. And you look back a few years later and say, ooh, Boy, if we could do a retake on that one, I wish we would have thought about that thing or done that a little bit different. I've been a part of those. I've had expectations from people that I've failed to meet. I didn't show up at the hospital at a time they felt, felt like I probably should have. I, I didn't attend, wasn't at their kid's soccer game or their child's middle school band concert. Oh, for the grace of God, I missed that one. But you know, I struggled to go to my own kid's middle school band concerts, but let alone somebody else's, right? But there's those expectations, right? You didn't attend my wedding or you didn't do these things. There have been times that I have disappointed people uh, even in the midst of that. So as I talk about, again, this idea of, of church hurt, I know even for some of you, right, in your church hurt story, that may, and I may be a part of that in different ways. And those truths are never fun, but it is a reality uh, of where things are at. And since we're acknowledging, again, the elephant in the room, right, let's acknowledge this truth, right, that this has been a place of significant church hurt. And that church has been real, and that church is, that hurt, hurt has been deep and, and very valid in different ways. And so it wasn't soon after I arrived here in Lexington, right, that one of the choices we made together is that we were gonna close what was once known as Quest. We're gonna take time to retool, re-envision, kind of recoup, and really decide if this is what the Lord had for us. And once we really felt like we were at a point of saying, hey, we could be something new and different, again, we relaunched as Lex City. So I say that to you to acknowledge that truth. And when I said earlier in week one, like there's gonna be triggers throughout this series for you, I didn't just say that flippantly. Over these next couple weeks in this area of church hurt, there are gonna be some triggers probably 
uh, that come up to you over different things, and so I just want to acknowledge that. So my, my hope for us in our time and my goal is that I would tread lightly, but I would tread honestly with you as we really begin to discuss this elephant of the room uh, of church hurt. You know, one of the things I, I hear often, especially from my friends who are, aren't church folks or are disillusioned with church in different ways, I also hear them say, oh, you're a pastor. I hate big churches, right? I hate mega churches. Uh, they're all corrupt. Uh, all they do is they just water down the gospel and just try to make people, just try to fill seats with people who can be entertained with a big deal. And they don't always say this, but some have said this. I, on the other hand, I, I belong to a, an Acts 2 kind of a church, right? where the gospel is pure and we share all things and we do all things together and we have got it figured out. To which I receive there's some truth to all of that, but I do smile because I want to say, have you continued reading your Bible past Acts chapter 2, verse 42? Uh, a couple of chapters, it's full of church hurt all throughout there, right? Let's be honest. The entire New Testament, so much of the writings that we have are dealing with this issue even in small churches and small congregations, and some of these were even house churches we see in the New Testament, but they were dealing with this issue of how do we treat each other better? The book of Colossians, right? It was written to combat false teaching and legalism in that context. The book of Galatians continues on to combat this legalism, this idea that we have the only truth and we are greater and more spiritual than all others because we do these things, behave this way, and act this kind of way. Second Timothy written to help us give insight into this tension of succession. Philippians, the book talks about personal conflict between members of the church and how all of that conflict was rooted out of what? Selfish ambition and pride. That's the book of Philippians. First and second Corinthians wasn't just written so we could have a couple of cool verses that we could read at a wedding. I mean, first and second Corinthians, think about it. It was written all about church hurt. It's dealing with the issues of members in a the church. They were suing each other. It was so dysfunctional. Well, they're having communion. They're getting drunk at communion. Now, listen, we've solved that problem with our COVID little communion cups, those hermetic little sealed things you can't open. I, don't, I can't even get enough juice to get the cracker down, let alone, like, get drunk. You know, we've solved that problem. But I just remind you, it's the church of Corinth that the book was written, it's divided in half, right? Some wanted Paul to be the leader, other wanted Apollos. Some wanted Stephen Furtick, some wanted John MacArthur. They were divided on how they thought things should be going. First of Corinthians, they judged one another over their spiritual gifts. If my gifts had greater manifestations, then I was far more spiritual than you. So the more dramatic, the more godly, right? Only the tongue speakers could be the baristas at the coffee shop. Everybody else was in the parking team. I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing that's happening all throughout the New Testament. It's full of teachings about how we should behave better, how we should treat each other more like Jesus wants us, and how we avoid hurting each other. Think about it. Even the last book in the New Testament, Book of Revelation, God condemns five of the seven churches because they were full of hurt. I want to remind you, church, church, church hurt has always been, and it will always be this side of heaven. It will always be a part of our story at, at different ways. Why is that? Because churches are led by and they are filled with imperfect people. There's only been one perfect leader and one perfect church attender, Whoever lived in human history, Psalms 145, verse 17 tells us, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind in all of his works. Every man or woman has been a poor imitation of the original and who Jesus is. Think of our great leaders 
in church movements in the past. Peter, the rock, who the church was built, right? Guilty of hypocrisy, Galatians chapter 2. Paul rebukes both Peter and Barnabas and says, you're shrinking back out of fear. You're giving in to peer pressure. Paul even said to Barnabas, these tough words, man, you have been led astray. You have been fooled by the rhetoric of the men from James. Apostle Paul, if you haven't got an idea, he's harsh. He'd been a hard guy to work for, serve under, or listen to every week. He just had that harshness about him. James and John, they've had anger issues. In fact, their anger issues are so dramatic. They are so just barely under the surface. What's the nickname for James and John? They are the sons of thunder. One time the disciples were, were passing through Samaria on the way to Jerusalem, and because of all the prejudice and the racial tensions between the Jews and Samaritans, when they came into Samaria and to get a room at the hotel, at the lodge, they were refused entrance into this hotel. They were denied this. And James and John, the sons of thunder, who felt a little bit entitled, listen to how they respond, Luke 9, 54. And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and to consume them? In other words, burn it down, right? If we can't stay there, ain't nobody staying here. Lord, just burn it down. Do they not know who we are? We are the anointed. We're the godly men. We are the 12. I mean, we've got a parking lot and a parking spot for our camels right out in front of the temple. Our names are on it. Do they not know we are entitled? If we can't stay there, Lord, then just burn it all down. And I love Jesus' response to this attitude. Listen, when the person who is a big deal doesn't act like a big deal, it's a big deal. The very next verse, Jesus rebukes them, says, gather up, men, we'll just go to the next village, right? Humility, that's there. Church hurt. It's the consequence of living in a sinful and a fallen world. And it doesn't make it right, and it doesn't excuse the behavior but we should not act like our faith rises and falls on the humanity of man. Because if we live that way, friends, we're always going to be hurt. When anyone other than Jesus becomes the focus of your attention and your respect and your adoration, friends, you're setting yourselves up to be hurt. The reality is when we gather, we gather in the name of Jesus, we gather for the sake of Jesus and what he has called us to do. He has to be the center and the focal point of all that comes. Now, I say that, hear me quickly say, I, I am not saying this to you. Well, pastors, man, they're just men, all right? They're just men. We need to have more understanding. We need to have more grace, right? I've got sin in my life. Who am I to call out sin in their life, right? Can I just remind you today, there's a difference between personal and positional accountability, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, gives us the qualifications of the highest office in the church. And it gives us three terms that are interchangeable. They say the position of elder, overseer, or pastor, all interchangeable in the New Testament. And when a man doesn't meet the qualifications of those positions that are required in 1 Timothy, they're no longer eligible to serve in that position. It doesn't mean they've lost their salvation doesn't mean that God doesn't love them. doesn't mean that God can't use them in some other capacity, but I want to remind you they have forfeited the right to serve in that capacity. If I have an affair on my wife, I forfeit the, response, the privilege of not only being your pastor, I forfeit the responsibility, a privilege of being a pastor for anybody at that moment, right? This is a sacred trust that you've given me, 
to stand up here every week and represent Christ and represent his teachings to you that's there. That's why I get so frustrated. Now I'm just going to rant with you for a little while, if you don't mind. I get so frustrated when men just qualify themselves by their actions or the attitudes and things that they do, and they give an emotional apology, and all of a sudden, six months and eight months and nine months later, you see them in a pulpit at some other places. Listen, this is how church hurt goes from one congregation to another congregation over time, because we're, we're thinking this. The position of pastor is not an entitlement that you have a right to have. It's a calling from God that God has given, and because God gave it, he can give it, and he can take it away at any time. I'm not entitled to it, and so my behavior really matters. Church, can I encourage you, never let charisma create in you a counterfeit character of the person who's in front of you. It's so different. All fruit is not godly fruit. And in our Instagram image-driven culture, we've replaced cool for character, and we cannot figure out why spiritually immature men are hurting us and disappointing us and creating us to a disillusion. The reality, the Bible's given some high standards and qualifications that's called us to, and when we fail to that, we lose the right and responsibility and the privilege to sit in that seat. And since I'm ranting, can I continue on just a little bit uh, more? Uh, modern church, listen, here's the, my fear. The modern church, and I say this to you lovingly, is simply a reflection of what you have been asking for. What you have rewarded has continued to be repeated. Think about it, who sells the most books? Whose music is downloaded the most? Uh, which churches are the largest? Who has the largest budgets? I'm just saying, if we're not careful, many times the pulpit is only a reflection of what the people are asking for. If we're not careful, then pastors have become more like thermometers rather than thermostats, right? We're simply taking the temperature of the room and reflecting that back rather than changing the culture and the temperature of the room before you. And so I just say to you in loving kindness, in the North American church, we have gotten what you have asked for because what you have rewarded has become repeated. And I say all of that to us just to remind us, listen, that both pastor and parishioner have culpability for the culture of church hurt that we have created in North America. And we each gotta own our part of this and say, hmm, there's some things I've contributed as we go. So this morning, on that happy note as we get started, right? This, this could be such a great morning. This morning, I, I wanna start by this. I wanna define for us what church hurt is and what church hurt is not. I wanna acknowledge maybe four key relationships that we see church hurt happen in. And then finally, we wanna set the table for really next week as we talk about how do we respond to church hurt. So I encourage you, if you're here this week or if you're watching online this week, tune in next week, because I'm really gonna lay the groundwork today and then next Sunday, we're going to talk about how do I turn that hurt into healing in our lives, and I think you'll be encouraged, so mark your calendar for that. So let's start up. What is church hurt not? Because I think there's a lot of, we like to bundle everything in, in, in these packages. What is it not? Church hurt is not when biblical truth contradicts the lifestyle and choices that you are making. A while back, met with somebody, and they came in and were just sharing uh, what was happening on in their life. And after a meeting with them, wasn't too long, you'll be no surprise here, on social media, all of a sudden here is this long rant about how unloving, how my church has hurt me, how we've let me down, how we're so narrow-minded and we're unloving. Friends, can I remind you, in the context of that conversation, that was not church hurt, that was biblical correction. When the choices of your life do not align with the word of God, and the church lovingly points out, it is not church hurt, it is conviction. 
The Holy Spirit in the life of a believer brings conviction, not comfort, when we're living in habitual sin. And so many times, sometimes we get convicted by the things of the word of God and we wanna spin it to say the church hurt me and I just wanna remind you the church didn't hurt you. They loved you enough to say what your choices, the lifestyle that you're living and the things that you're doing are contrary to the word of God and so let's call it what it is, it's sin. We gotta walk forward in there. Now let me be honest, here's the challenge in those things, if we're being honest with ourselves in conversations, the challenge sometimes for us as a church is that we say the right thing in the wrong way, right? Our tone, our tack, our timing, <laughs> they all matter. Shame and guilt are never tools of biblical correction. Truth must always be seasoned, what, in grace and in mercy and in love, but there's still absolute truth at the end of the day. For some of you, your church hurt has come because somebody weaponized truth in your life. It wasn't what they said was wrong, but it was the timing, it was the tone, and it was the text. So let's not confuse those two. The second kind of church hurt that is not church hurt is really, it's, it's when my opinion, right? When my preferences and when my expectations are not met. Just because you didn't get what you wanted or expected or felt that you were entitled to get, just because the church did or didn't offer this ministry or doesn't emphasize this thing to the level that you think it should be emphasized or they're overemphasizing it beyond what you think it should be, doesn't mean that you have church hurt. If we're not careful, what it really means is we have a consumer heart. And we're all, we're all guilty of this. We all have this bent towards consumerism, I do. I like my preferences, I like what I want, and I like how I like it. So we all have these things, but that's not church hurt. It may be disappointment, it may be disillusionment, it may be frustration, but it's not church hurt as we would define it. Think about it, in my 30 years plus of ministry, I've had people get upset, and I've had to leave people leave the church and be very maybe hurtful on their way out over many things. Um, and so in the life of pastor, Monday's always the funnest day because that's email Monday, you know how that goes. And so these are actual things I've had with people who have left the church uh, being hurt, right? Because we didn't offer an Awana program for their kids. Uh, we didn't sing hymns. We didn't sing enough hymns, and then we sang some of the wrong hymns, and we didn't sing verses one, three, and four, we, you know, whatever. Uh, I've had people leave because I, I, wore, I wore jeans, Back when I was younger and a little hipper, my jeans had holes in them and that was of the devil and people have left the church over those things. Uh, they have left because we had an organ. And the pipes were there and I paid for the pipes and you don't use the pipes and the organ anymore and so I'm out. And then I was just feeling, you know, really bold one day and so we painted the back of the church what used to be all white, we painted it black because we were on TV and that of course was of the enemy and they had left the church over there, right? I've left because we don't have traditional Sunday school or we don't have youth choir. Um, I've been offended because we don't just do books of the Bible every week, verse by verse, preaching with them. I've left and I've offended and hurt because we sing songs by an author that I don't really appreciate their theology on different things, right? And I can go on and on. You get the idea. And I just want to remind you on all of those, their preferences and opinions, and they may be totally valid. And there may be truth to each one, but that's not church hurt. That's my preference. That's my opinion. That's my perspective that's there. So what is church hurt? Big buzzword right now, especially in church world, if you listen to podcasts and other things, this idea of trauma, right? The trauma that's there. And here's what we wanna make sure. We wanna walk this balance. We wanna make sure that everything 
every hurt is not trauma, right? We also wanna make sure that we don't minimize the mistake of dismissing all non-physical trauma as not traumatic, right? There's a balance here. Not everything is trauma, and not everything that happened is not trauma. Some of these things are quite traumatic. So Biblical Counseling uh, Coalition uh, gives a, a definition for trauma. This was helpful for me, I hope it is for you. It says two kinds of trauma. One is big T trauma, speaks to catastrophic events that can befall people. The kind that involves severe threat of bodily harm or death, sexual assault, robbery at gunpoint, domestic violence, these are all instances of, of trauma. However, there's another kind of trauma currently being described as little t trauma. Little t trauma refers to trouble that isn't life-threatening or violent, but consists of experiencing other kinds of abusive patterns and behaviors. Interpersonal conflict, lies, manipulation, spiritual abuse, um, can all produce trauma responses within people that often mirror the impact of big T trauma, especially when an individual endures such trouble for an extended period of time, right? So little T trauma at a period of time over extended period of time can have the same impact as big T, T trauma, but the difference. Let me give you a metaphor that helped me understand. Uh, the difference between, it's a difference between a car striking a semi-truck head on and slowly being poisoned by radiation. Both events will kill you, but they'll do it in different ways. Big T trauma is violent and sudden, but little T trauma is subtle, but will leave you very sick. And I say all that because if we can understand the hurt we have church hurt and really begin to clarify it and what it was and what it's not, if I can define what it is, then I know the path towards healing and restoration and the, and the path that I need to kind of find some hope on that. So if it's a big T, Trauma, we respond in one way. If it's a little t trauma, we respond in another way. Both are as valid and both are as painful. In a big t trauma, let's just think about those for an example. When a catastrophic event includes areas of assault that happen in the context of a church, what this demands for us as a church and for leadership is it demands the protection of the offended and the flock, right? So at Lex City Church, when these kind of traumas come before us, we're gonna involve the law, we're gonna um, involve higher authorities, we're gonna take that serious because our first thought cannot be, how do we make this go away and how do we protect the reputation of the church and the offender? Our first thought has to be, how do we protect those who have been offended and the flock that we're accountable for? So by the grace of God, in my 32 years of ministry, I've never had a staff member involved in any physical or sexual misconduct or even had allegations towards them. But I have dealt with lots of member-to-member -member hurt and big T trauma. And some of the assault and abuse that has been on with that, those are difficult. Those are difficult conversations. Those are difficult interventions when you go on behalf and involve authority with those kind of things, but there's things that we have to do, why? For the protection of those that have been hurt. And I share that because you don't have to take long to look at the news or listen to a podcast or different things to come across churches um, who have tried to avoid, cover up, or dismiss church hurt. And in their attempt to make it go away, here's the challenge, they have actually deepened the pain, deepened the hurt, and increased the mistrust. So our commitment to you is when these big T things come, is to protect and validate and, and listen for those things that are there and involve authorities that are greater than us. So where do these kind of 
traumatic events happen in relationships. I, let me give you today, maybe to help frame this, is to kind of give you four, four relationships that I've seen this kind of church hurt manifest itself. Four relationships. One is leader to members. Two is member to member. Then it's member to leader, and it's leader to leader. So let's take a moment and talk about those kind of four. Probably the one we think of first is, right, is leader to membership. It shows up in so many different ways, but basically it shows up in the, in the manipulation uh, and uh, the misuse of spiritual authority, right? False teaching, mismanagement of resources, moral failures, where the leader exhorts control over the, the congregation through their teaching or their ministries, and they control people through three things you'll see over and over, through fear, through guilt, and through shame, right? Positioning themselves as the ultimate spiritual authority that the sole sense of anointing where God speaks and they kind of are the conduit between God and everybody else, they've placed themselves in that kind of position. And when these kind of men and women place themselves in that position of the ultimate conduit between God and you, when they fall and when they fail, they put the entire organization at risk because the entire organization was built on them being the conduit solely and the anointing solely for God. The challenge when you get to those moments is the natural thought process comes, right? If I can't trust the leader, I can't trust church, and ultimately I can't trust God. And the tragedy of this kind of betrayal and failure is that it brings into question then at this point everything that happened for the kingdom of God underneath that structure and underneath that leadership, and you begin to question absolutely everything. I was a youth pastor and our senior pastor's affair became public. And in the life of these students who had only known this pastor all their life, you can imagine how devastating. This was the man who did my baby dedication. Uh, I got saved, I came down under their ministry and I prayed to receive Christ under there, that he baptized me. He's the one that really has led me so much to Jesus and all of a sudden, it began to question everything because if he's a fraud, is my entire faith a fraud? These young people who are in this moment of time where they're trying to decide is their faith their own or is it somebody else's, this is my mom and dad's faith, and the person who should have been the thing that should have been the rock for them rocked their very foundation. Now there's questions of this, well, am I even saved? Was that real? Did my baptism really matter? And at the deepest core of who they were, they begin to question why because they associated everything with that person. Jesus understands this. And he speaks so directly and doesn't mix words on this is the consequences to you who lead and you lead recklessly. Luke 17, 2. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Jesus doesn't mix words. Listen. You have a reckless leader on a calling and a position that I have given you and you misuse that authority. Man, it's better you just tie a rock around your neck and go to the sea. The consequences are there because he knows it, it's so great. That's leadership to membership kind of hurt. Second kind of hurt, it's probably the most pervasive one. It's membership to membership, right? And so many of these are simply just around relational hurts when we hurt one another through the things that we do, right? They didn't invite me to be in their small group. They said something harsh to my kids or was unkind to my children, right? I just came and nobody feels friendly and nobody's reaching out to me at the deeper level, when we even get into deeper levels of hurt, right, it's what we gossip and we slander one another in different contexts and different conversations. 
And it's so hurtful because we keep thinking this, right? If we're all a part of the family of God, right, then shouldn't we just treat each other better? I mean, I have this expectation. We're Christians, so we, we, we talk about love and we talk about grace. I expect this kind of behavior at work, but I experience it in my small group, and so now it hurts even deeper because I didn't anticipate I would experience it here. And what's the thing we naturally roll to? Well, that's just church people. They're just all a bunch of hypocrites. They talk about love, but I'm not experiencing it when things come. It's membership to membership hurt. Let me give you a third one. It's membership to leadership hurt. Let me give you a staggering statistic that may rock your world in ways as you think about it. Only one out of 10 pastors begin their ministry life as a pastor and actually end up retiring as a pastor. Think about that. 90% quit for one reason or another. And when they quit, because I know pastor friends this way, they leave discouraged and disillusioned and beaten down. And the thing that we don't think about is the impact that has upon their family and their children that are there. You know, one of my greatest joys, and if you'd say, man, what are you proud about, about being a pastor? At this point, because the story's not read, uh, A, if I can retire doing this, that would be a wonderful blessing. But more importantly, I love after 30-some years that my family and my children still love Jesus and still love the church. That is no small thing. Because my family knows a lot about church people and church hurt. And we've journeyed this thing together the whole time. And so I'm blessed, and I just say one of the gifts of my life is that my children, so my youngest son Trent, who's at the University of Nebraska running track for them, when we came to Lexington, said, hey, I think I want to come with you guys and do this thing together. We're like, what? So yeah, so he quit, came, was a part of here, met his wife, Taylor. Taylor is one of our staff kids. Now listen, if you want to talk about two kids who know the inside of church and understand they easily could become bitter and angry about what they have seen and what they have experienced, and by the grace of God, what I love and so thankful for them, is when they could have ran away because they know so much, they've leaned in and said we're in, and so they lead one of our life groups, multi-generational life groups. They volunteer with our youth ministry, and they're just engaged here, and that's such a gift. My oldest son, TJ, who's our, our youth director, he's at high school these formidable years. He feels like he has this calling on his life, and it's a season of me in ministry, which is probably my hardest, most empty, most discouraging season of ministry right during these formative years. And you know, when you're in pain, you can be a pain, and I think at times, he was very gracious, but I think the hurt and emptiness in my heart even came into his life. And I'm so grateful that he had a calling that was greater than what he saw in church and disillusionment and discouragement, that he's like, man, that's what I wanna do. And he hadn't wavered from that, and he's here, and I love that he and Tia, every week, stand in the gap for your students and your teens in a time and a culture. Listen, we have left these students a confusing, morally relativistic, culture and time where everything is up for grabs and we've not left them in great shape and I'm so grateful there are folks like him and their volunteers who just stand in the gap every week to say man we want to love you where you're at and lead you to Jesus it's a joy I'm on the roll I'll keep on going so my wife Tammy you know 30 some years of marriage together and all of this nobody gets church hurt and understands it and feels it more than she does because she's got the mama bear kind of approach at different times when things come 
right? In these moments when I'm agreeing, right? So I feel all of this deeply and probably more than what is reality and I'm in the fetal position. I can't do this anymore. You know, she's just like, you know, buck up, you know? Sometimes she hugs me, sometimes she kicks me and says like, you gotta call and get up and do your job and quit whining, you know? And then other times she just gives you, it's okay, you know, and all these, but it, it's a gift along these lines. And here's what I, I, I share to you. I share that only because, listen, only 10% of pastors finish the race. And 90% bail out. The collateral damage is not just to them and their calling. The collateral damage is to their children. And you wonder why pastors' kids never want to do anything with the church because they see church hurt up close and personal. Just a perspective that sometimes we don't talk about. We talk a lot of leadership to member, but can I remind you, it rolls both ways as we go. Here's the fourth one. It's just leaders to leaders. And sometimes the most forgotten victims of hurt, of church hurt, is church staff. When the senior leader treats them as pawns, right, for their purpose, that your goal only here is to promote who the real talent is, there's, there's going to be hurt. And that's going to end in disillusionment and in, in not how God desired it to be. And so we have staff who get hurt because they just feel like they're getting used to produce a product and forgotten in the process. Or there's just this disillusionment to what church ministry is all about. I remember one of my assistants, uh, she went to come be on staff, great gal, good family friends, were like, oh, you'll be amazing at this, but let me just tell you, I'm a little hesitant to hire you because the moment I hire you and you walk through these doors, you're gonna see church in a whole different way. Right now, you think this is what church ministry looks like. We pray all day together. We sing hymns and songs, and it's kumbaya, and you're led by Jesus with skin on. I mean, it's a glorious moment. Two days into the job, you know, it's the relentless pressure and the relentless return of the Sabbath, and you're like, "Woo, this is hard, right? Leader to leader hurt comes in, in, in such a way that's sometimes so challenging. Four relationships that caused hurt in the local church Again, think about these categories. We've got to define what hurt is, right? So this area of trauma. Big T trauma or is it little T trauma? You know, if it's little T trauma where we have misunderstanding and unmet expectations or we've just been disappointed or frustrated or whatever it would be, in those kind of relationships and in those kind of hurts, can I encourage you? This is when the Matthew 18 principle is so important. That you go to that person in humility and you work it out. You, you approach this person with a desire to better understand why they did or why they said the thing that they say. Listen, I, you said that to me and it really hurt me. And I know you to be a good person. And I know you to be kind. And I'm just struggling with the disconnect between who I know you to be and what I'm experiencing. Can you help me understand that? But that's Matthew 18. It, it's desire to better understand the why it's desire to seek, to seek restoration and not just to be right. So when you have these little T's, hurts, and misunderstandings and these member-to-membership things, just go. Who knows, at the end of the day, you may actually win a friend. Remember in those moments, listen, we, don't, we can disagree and, and still be restored. Unity does not require uniformity. The goal is oneness and not sameness. Right, We can disagree and still be okay, so before you go and talk to everyone else, simply go to that person, and like I said, the beauty is many times at the end of the day, you will have won a friend, because you're just willing to humbly go and say, help me understand 
Oh, it's there. Romans 12, 18, right? If possible, so far as it depends on me, live peaceably with all. If it's a big T hurt, all right, trauma in these ways, can I just encourage you? You need to go and can I encourage you? Seek some help, professional help, counseling to work through these things. Man, you are worth it. What you experienced wasn't right, wasn't fair, wasn't God's plan for you. It's not God's desire for the church, but these kind of things happen. And I just want to say to you, you are worth the work and the effort. This does not define you, but you're going to get some help working through it and take those steps so define them with the art. You know, how did Jesus, think about Jesus. How did, how did Jesus deal with this area of, of hurt, especially church hurt? Nobody, I think, in human history has probably been hurt to the level of hurt that Jesus has by the very church, right? Think about this. The religious establishment that should have led people to the Messiah and celebrated the fulfillment of the promises and the covenant in Jesus that should have celebrated him are the very religious establishment that hung the Messiah on the cross. His life group, 12 dudes doing life together, three years investing 24-7 with one another. These should have been his boys, and yet one of them sells them out for 30 pieces of silver. One of them denies him and denounces that he ever knew him. At his greatest moment of physical need and physical pain, out of his boys who he had spent three years investing in, only one was present at the foot of the cross. Jesus was let down by the institution that should have promoted him. The men that should have comforted him at his greatest moment of need scattered. And yet in his final breath, as he hung on the tree, what does Jesus say? He says simply this, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Forgive them, Father. Put some hurt, but they don't understand. That's grace in the midst of hurt. Next week, we're going to talk with some folks. We're going to share a little bit of their story about out of these four relationships, how they did experience hurt, but more importantly, how they've found a way to experience grace and forgiveness, how they've learned to open their hearts up again and retrust and re-engage and put themselves out there in some vulnerability. So that's going to be next week. Don't miss that. That's going to be powerful. But today, in our time, listen, we've defined what church hurt is both trauma and a big T trauma, a little T trauma. We define what church hurt is not. It's not preferences. It's not if we just simply get convicted. And again, understanding what kind of big T or little T hurt we're going through helps us know the steps of recovery on there. I mentioned if it's a big one, get some help. I'm sorry if that has been part of your story, but just don't journey it alone. Don't stuff it down. It's valid. You experienced it. It's real. Find somebody to help along those. If it's that small T, we're, we're launching a couple new small groups just for this series to kind of help along those areas. So if you just needed support and, and some encouragement, we're launching two groups, especially for you. Ladies, we've got a group entitled Beauty for Ashes and Men, Wounded Heart. You'll find all those on lexcity.info. Encourage you, jump in, journey this thing together with some folks and find some encouragement there. You'll find all that again, lexcity.info, that's there hurt, right? It's a part of all of our stories. The great part is healing can also become a part of that story. Church hurt is it's so devastating because it naturally impacts our view of God 
and it impacts our view of the people of God. Big thought for today and really for this two weeks is simply this. It wrote his way. What happens to us has a significant impact on what happens in us. And the challenge is if we don't deal and acknowledge some church hurt, it stagnates our spiritual growth. Because of something that happened to us, it dramatically affects what's happening in us. And so the hope is over these two weeks and during our time is that we could just begin that conversation. That you might consider doing the work and understanding why there are sometimes in my spiritual life I've just hit this wall, right? I get to this point and I pull back. I get to this point and I, I just self-destruct and I, I, I self-sabotage relationships because it just gets too vulnerable and I keep pulling back. Or I, I can only get to here with God and it feels like I can't fully trust Him. Why? Because what's been to us sometimes affects what happens in us. And so over these next few weeks, let's kind of give that to the Lord. Say, God, what do you want to do in us? And how can you work what's happened to us? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for just the, I don't even know if it's encouraging or discouraging to know that this issue of church hurt has been right from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when you started the church, it wasn't long before our own agendas and our own opinions and our own, just our sinfulness entered into this thing. And we hurt each other disappoint each other. We fail to meet expectations. And all of that chips away a little bit out of our heart. And bitterness can creep in and woundedness creates walls of defensiveness. And God, what you created to be a, a place where grace is experienced and expressed, where love flows freely and acceptance is here, create a place at times where woundedness happens at the deepest level. So Lord, today, may your spirit just give us clarity on the things that are rolling even in our heart today. Are these big T things that I need to risk and step out in humility and ask for bigger help? Are these smaller T things where I just need to practice Matthew 18 and just go and seek understanding and acknowledge this is probably a little bit more me than them and own what I need to? Or are there just things that we've attributed to the church that are really just things that are in our own hearts? God, this is my own conviction. This is where your spirit is making me uncomfortable. That has little to do with that. That's just things I've got to deal with. So help us to be able to have clarity on that and then just to move forward in confidence and hope. Lord, thanks for this time. Whatever your spirit is doing within our hearts, may you continue that work even this week and next week as we talk about how do we re-engage and how do we find healing and hope that comes from you. We're grateful for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Lex City Church podcast. If you would like to support ministries of Lex City, visit lexcity.church slash give. Please subscribe and follow us on social media at Lex City Church for more encouraging teachings and content.